Good morning. Welcome to those who are joining us in the Fellowship Hall and online today. If you would like to use a Bible this morning as we get into the Word of God together, just raise your hand and the ushers will give one to use during the service today. This fall, our sermon series is called Jesus at Home. We're learning how Jesus is at home with us, not only here when we gather together to worship God, but also in our daily lives that he wants us to be at home with inviting him into our daily struggles so he can bring his healing work in us wherever we are and then through us for the world as well. And it's really important in a growing life of faith to daily invite the Lord into where we are. And it's important for us to talk about this and develop this as our spiritual practice, ideally when things are good. Because it seems when at its center, when what's at home for us is full of hurt, that's often the exact opposite of what we tend to do. And I'm sure you know what I mean. It's strange but true that when we're hurting, when that's when we need God and others the most, but it also tends to be when we end up turning the way from both instead. Because there's something about human nature that makes us want to keep our hurts secret behind closed doors with a big old keep out sign. But today as we look at the stories of how Jesus engages with people, we see that whenever people dare to invite Jesus into their places of hurt, his presence changes things, brings healing, and sometimes in very unexpected ways. And Jesus is still doing that today. But to be fair, when Jesus first comes to town, nobody immediately invited him into their hurt. It wasn't until Jesus acted first that people started to see who he is. First we saw the Jesus who is at home in the temple, that he showed us that his power and his word are from the same God who has always claimed and loved us. Jesus shows them and us that we can trust the source of his power and his promise because it flows from God the Father, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And we talked about that our first week of this sermon series, the importance of seeing that Jesus is at home with God the Father and that he leads us to be as well because Jesus' heart is to draw us together into worship. And then last week, we saw how Jesus is at home with sinners, showing us that he's not about to let a person's sin keep him away from a heart that wants to be restored to God, that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And Jesus proves by his actions toward the most hated people group among them, hanging out at a party with tax collectors, that anyone can genuinely approach this Jesus without fear of being judged or cast aside. Because Jesus tells us he knows it's the sick that need a doctor and it's sinners that need a savior. And what kind of doctor would despise and avoid the sick? And what kind of savior would shun the one that's lost that he came to save? So this Jesus who is at home with sinners shows us by his actions that he is someone you can approach with your real brokenness without fear because his heart is restoring us in grace. In Luke 19, Jesus tells us his mission is to seek and save the lost. And we all get lost in so many ways, don't we? But we won't ask for directions until we know we're good and lost. Sometimes, maybe not even then. 
But when we know the one who is right here among us is the way, and he's not going to judge us for not having already what he came to give us, that's when we know we can trust him enough to be real about what we need. That's someone you can dare ask for help. So after showing us that he is at home with God the Father and with sinners, Jesus then reaches out to heal, to show the purpose of God's power is to make the broken new, and that in him that power is here for anyone who will dare invite him into their brokenness. And that's when the floodgates open. <laughs> When people know this is who Jesus is, this is his source, his power, his heart, his purpose and the will of God the Father, all of a sudden, all of these hurts come out of hiding. We see the story of Jairus daring to beg Jesus to come into his home for the sake of his daughter who is dying. We see a woman with a flow of blood reaching out to touch the hem of Jesus' robe, daring the anger of the crowd to offer this silent prayer of inviting Jesus' power into her life, into her hurt. We see friends of a paralyzed man breaking through the roof of a home where Jesus is to bring their friend to Jesus for healing. We see blind men on the side of the road calling out, Jesus, have mercy on me, find me. So brave of them all to dare to invite Jesus so boldly into their places of hurt. And the only reason they do that is because something first has moved them to believe they can trust this man, this Jesus with that pain. They can trust him to help them find hope beyond it. And time and time again, in so many different stories, sometimes through healing, sometimes through a life being moved into repentance, sometimes through spoken forgiveness, and sometimes just in experiencing true love and acceptance, we see Jesus' presence brings healing into places of hurt. Now maybe knowing this, that this is the kind of love Jesus has for you, that this is why God sent Jesus to this earth to show us this is how he wants to be at work in your life, to bring you from brokenness into new life in him. Maybe knowing this is all you need to gladly and genuinely invite Jesus into the home of your hurt. But maybe like me, you've known this is Jesus' heart for a long time. And yet if you're honest with yourself, you still have these private pockets of pain that you guard, that you haven't invited him into. And they turn into pockets of anger or bitterness or hiding, shame, fear. Why is it when what's at home in our hearts is hurt that we guard the door? What's that about? Well, because of Jesus' love for you and his desire to set you free, that's what we're going after today with the help of the Holy Spirit. What keeps us from opening the door to God and to trusted others when what's at home for us is full of hurt? Well, I think it's something about ourself of something out of a sense of self-preservation that in the face of perceived danger, we tend to go toward fight or flight. When we hurt, there are three different directions we can take. Number one, we fight. We're angry that we're hurting, so we immediately look for someone to blame. We blame God. We blame others. That's the fight reaction. Or number two, we hide either because we're afraid of whatever it is that's causing us this pain, it's a defensive reaction, or because the person that we found to blame is us. 
We feel like we're in pain because it's our own fault, either out of our own sinfulness or our inadequacy, and we're ashamed. And so we hide from God and from others. This is the flight part of the fight or flight. And then there's the third most elusive reaction to hurt, when in times of hurt we draw closer to God and to trusted others. Now that third route takes a lot of trust, but it's the only one that actually leads to hope and healing. And I think we all do each of these sometimes, and sometimes we do all three at once. When my niece Carrie was a toddler, I was with her and with my sister when she was getting a shot, something that she hates to this day. And my sister was holding her when the doctor gave her the shot. And when the pain hit, she immediately looked at her mother's face with this look of horror, of betrayal. And she started screaming and hitting her with her little fist. And you could just see on her face, how could you let this happen to me? Fight, blame, anger. And then she realized that the doctor was still there in the room. And she tried to get as far away as possible while huddling in her mother's arms, flight, hiding, and then when it finally dawned on her that she didn't have any power to get out of this situation, finally she looked back into the face of her mother, who had always been her help and her comfort, and she sobbed, Mama! She threw her arms around her neck, and my sister comforted her that even though she was hurting, that things actually were all right, and they would be all right. Now, you can imagine how hard it was for toddler Carrie to ever imagine that having a disease could possibly be worse than getting a shot. I mean, how could that be? But even though we knew that this was something that was being used for her good, it was still hard to sit with her in her confusion and her pain. But we got through it together. And I think the same is true for us in our hurts. We don't often get an answer to why in our hurts, but we still want one, don't we? And we don't always see how any good can come of it, and honestly, maybe there isn't a why in our suffering beyond the simple brokenness of the world in which we live. And maybe there isn't any good that will be coming because of this suffering, but any good that can be found beyond it, any hope for what will be next is going to come from the God who longs to hold us and carry us through, who can and will tell us, since he holds the end of the story for all the world, that one day it will come aright, either here or in the life to come, because he paid the price to make it so for you. And we can find hope and peace in his presence and his love right now, no matter where we are today. But we won't know that comfort until we're willing to turn toward him in our pain. And if we get stuck in our initial reactions in fight or flight, that will actually keep us trapped in the woundedness instead of opening up the ways of healing and peace. And as I said, those reactions started early. In Genesis 3, 12 through 13, after eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God finds Adam and Eve to ask them why they chose to open the door to evil in their lives. And Adam immediately answers with blame. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? And Eve immediately also reacts with blame. The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. It's not my fault. In fact, God, isn't this your fault? After all, you put the woman here, Adam says. You put the snake here, Eve says. 
Now, obviously, Adam chose to take the fruit from Eve, and Eve chose to follow the serpent's advice. So why did neither of them own up to that? Because dealing with consequences is new to them. Because before, they'd only known good in the world, but the serpent told them if they really wanted to be like God, they'd eat the fruit so they could know both good and evil. And after they took that step to know evil, they immediately wished they hadn't. Now they understood why God said, don't introduce this into your life. But there are things you can't undo. For the first time, they experience a not good, and they don't like it. (laughs) Who does? And it makes them angry. And that anger gets vented on God. If you really loved us, God, if you were really good, why don't you stop wrong choices from being made by people? I mean, I know you told us not to, but why did you let us? But is that fair? Do we really want a God who gives the world no freedom? Is that love? Or if we don't blame God, we certainly blame the people who made those bad choices that hurt us. Because though we may not be able to control the situation we're in in our anger, when we choose to withhold our forgiveness or our relationship to stay in anger, it gives us a sense of power. But the problem is you can only hold on to that illusion of power as long as you keep up the anger and the bitterness. And soon that becomes your prison. And if you ever want to open the door to get out of that anger yourself, you have to let go of that perceived control over the other. And that's why this is one of Satan's cleverest traps, because it traps us by our own desire for control. But if you stay there living in the anger and the blame, you will never know healing and never have peace. Now, you can be angry in your hurt. Yes, you can. But healing only comes when you let God into that anger. And thankfully, there's a lot of biblical precedent for that. The Psalms are full of people yelling at God for what they feel he's not doing or what he has done, but they're yelling at him. The door is open for him to respond. And if you keep reading, almost always by the end of the psalm, you will see the psalmist experiencing that response from God, that something shifts in the heart and leads into something new. When you're hurting, don't let yourself get trapped in blame and anger because it's not the way to healing. The second response we can have when we're hurting is to hide. And that was actually the first thing Adam and Eve do after their sin in Genesis 3.8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They hid because they were ashamed. And shame is its own trap. Mostly because people tend to feel when they hide in shame that that's actually what God wants them to do. But obviously, this is not the case, because when they're hiding, the first thing God does with Adam and Eve is go looking for them. In Genesis 3, 9, God calls out, where are you? Not because he doesn't know, but because he wants them to come into the light, to talk to him so they can move forward. God does not want us trapped in shame. In fact, Jesus came to be the cure for that. At home with sinners and with God the Father, Jesus came to reconcile us by his sacrifice, by becoming the means of forgiveness and restoration for us, 
Freedom never comes from hiding. It comes from bringing to Jesus what we need redeemed and letting him redeem it. He paid the price to set us free from guilt and shame, and he doesn't want us there a minute longer. But there's another aspect to shame, that sometimes even when we know our hurt isn't remotely our fault in any way that we can see, sometimes we still feel shame about our hurt. And I think that comes from some kind of weird theology that if we're suffering at all, we must be being punished for something. And Jesus wants to set us free from that too. We see Jesus address that in John 9, 1 through 3. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus is teaching us the question isn't, why is he hurting, what did he do? The question is, what does God want to do in him right now? And we know there are no greater stories than those that we hear of someone bringing their hurt to Jesus and seeing him transform them to bring glory to God through their life on the other side of that hurt. Those stories are so inspiring to us because they remind us that Jesus wants us to see what can be in our lives, not to be trapped in what's gone before. But that only happens when we can stop hiding and trust Jesus enough to bring him our honest pain and invite him in. So that brings us then to number three, to invite Jesus or trusted people into our hurt. And sometimes, even knowing how good Jesus is and how much he loves us, I think the reason we don't invite him into our pain is because we can't wrap our minds around. We can't imagine, what is Jesus going to do about it anyway? So the last thing we need to remember in this is that we need to let God be God and to trust that he can do more than we would ever even ask or imagine. In Mark 5, we see a story of a man named Jairus who as a dad had thrown his pride aside and had gone to beg Jesus to come into his home and heal his daughter. But on the way there, messengers came from the house and told him not to bother Jesus anymore because his daughter had died. But Jesus looked at Jairus and he told him, don't be afraid. Jesus had been asked into this situation and where he was invited, he would go. And so Jesus walked past the mourners into the room where the child lay dead, and he put everyone out of the room except Jairus and his wife and Peter, James, and John. And then he took this little girl's hand, and he said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. And she opened her eyes and got up. Now, can you imagine what Jairus had been feeling on the road? Why bother to invite Jesus into this, into his home that was so full of hurt now that hope was completely lost? But the thing is, Jesus has a way of bringing hope where we can see the possibility of none. Always invite Jesus into your hurt because our God is a God of new life and he wants new life for you. And maybe his word for you today is Talitha kum. Get up, girl. It's time to live again. Because where Jesus is invited in, things change. And you see, the truth is, as long as we're alive, we're going to find that life is full of hurt. It always will be. 
until the day we enter heaven. That's just how it is. But Jesus came to show us we can find healing and peace even there when we invite him into it. Life will give us scars, but Jesus has scars too. He knows what it is to love and to hurt. So we can look to him to see how we can live authentically and faithfully with our hurt. You see, Jesus showed us what it looks like to move from blaming God to trusting God. On the cross, he spoke the words of Psalm 22:1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Showing us it's okay to be angry. It's okay to acknowledge you feel hurt or abandoned by God, that you don't understand what he's doing. But Jesus also followed up that expression with one of trust. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus models for us that we can trust God with our hurts even when we don't understand what he's doing. And Jesus also modeled for us what it looks like to move from blaming others to a place of forgiveness. In Luke 22, Jesus noted that those who were arresting him were not acting with integrity. He says, but this is your hour when darkness reigns. Because the truth is, all of his hurts were their fault. The fault of their sins against God and against him. But Jesus did not choose to dwell in anger. Instead, this was his move in Luke 23. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing because there's real freedom in forgiveness. And then Jesus modeled for us what it looks like to move from blame of ourselves to putting our trust in God's redeeming work that is so much bigger than us. In the garden, Jesus confessed his sorrow was so great that it was crushing him, an honest expression of self. And you notice Jesus never even once beats himself up about that. He just expresses it, unlike us. So often we're tempted to feel shame about emotions that we think of as weak. But Jesus shows us shame is never present in a relationship of true love. You are absolutely free to feel what you feel. And at the end of expressing this, Jesus' prayer was, not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus did experience God's will for him, raising him from death to life and giving him the name that is above every name to reveal God's greatest glory for all of us, beyond the hurt into glory. So today I want to invite you to take a moment and bring to mind a place of hurting, of woundedness in your own life. And I want you to ask yourself, how have I been dealing with that hurt? Have you been hiding, shamed? Have you been anger, angry, bitter, blaming? If so, confess that to God. And now invite Jesus into that hurt. Ask him to deal with that hurt today and in the days to come with you. And trust him that he knows what you need. The Apostle Paul once asked three times for something to be healed in him, and instead Jesus told him, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And Jesus healed his faith rather than his body because it's faith that's eternal. So let Jesus do what he needs to do in your hurt, knowing it might look different than you imagine.
And then secondly, pray for those people that you know who figuratively or literally are living in a home full of hurt. Because sometimes people need us to invite Jesus into that hurt with them or for them, like Jairus did for his daughter. Let the Lord bring those people to your mind this week as you pray for them, as you come alongside them. And then third, as you open the door to let Jesus into your hurt, he also may be leading you to let others in too, to bring healing and help. And there are some groups that are forming right now here at Community of Grace that might be for you. There's a group for those who are supporting each other in recovery. There's a group for those who are grieving, who are praying for their adult children. And there are many other groups where regular people just spend time together. So Grab a group's catalog and pray about whether or not this is a season Jesus is calling you to invite other safe people into to let his healing begin in you. Because where Jesus is invited in, things change. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we look to your word, as we look to the scriptures, we see that those people who had been avoiding the temple or avoiding the Pharisees, those same people came looking for you when they see who you are. So seeing who you are, Jesus, for us today, Lord, help us trust you enough to invite you into our hurts. Set us free from the traps of anger and blame and bitterness. Remind us there is no room for shame and a love like yours. And bring us today into your grace that makes us new. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.